Hey, this is Dali, and you're listening to the Fear the Sword podcast. Welcome back to the bottom, a Fear the Sword podcast. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, David Zabak. David, what's up, buddy? Hey, not much. How are you? I'm doing good. So we are in a world now where the Cavs are not going to be in the NBA Finals. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, having beat the Milwaukee Bucks, are now headed to the Finals, the first team in the East to not feature LeBron James in a long, long time. Uh, I'm very happy for the Raptors, Trevor, David. I'm gonna, We're going to get into like a whole bunch of Cavsy things today, but I just want to start here. I'm very happy for Toronto. I don't think they're going to beat Golden State. But I'm really happy for that fan base, really happy for guys like Gasol and Lowry. Yeah, I think everybody kind of did the thing yesterday where they are excited in the moment and think that the Raptors are going to sort of make this a series with the Warriors. I I really don't think that's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Kawhi Leonard is insane. Uh, Kyle Lowry made a couple really impressive <clears throat> defensive plays, I thought, that helped the Raptors win yesterday, so I'm happy for him. Um, I picked the Raptors at the beginning of the year to, to come out of the East, so um, you know I, I can't say I'm like super surprised. I, I just I think Kawhi is that good, and he ended up being healthy, and um, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm happy for the Raptors fan base. Yeah, I I'm really just happy. I think like there there is something cool about. You know the the pitch that they've made to Kawhi. I think like they've made as good of a pitch as you possibly could make to that guy, based on on what they've done this year, which I think I think is worth noting, and I think they deserve credit for really just going for it. Um, one thing I want to also talk about with this is there's the ESPN story that came out like right when the game ended about um Giannis and like his future in Milwaukee, like hinging on them making the finals in 2020 and like their competitiveness. I just want to say like. I think that story, like, is publishable, I think, like, clearly that was, like, reported ahead of time, like, that, that's something ESPN and that reporter, like, Andrews, like, touched on and thought about and, like, was, you know, that that's information that should get out there. I don't think that's a story that, like, shouldn't be reported. I just think, like, in the moment of, like, that game ending, I hate that we're so deep into transact, like, we saw this with LeBron the last several years. I really, really hate that like we live in the sports world to some degree where it's all like transaction based discussion. I think there's like a weird human element that's like really missing from a lot of this. Like I, I want to read something like after that game, not that like their off season preview, like Giannis' future, whatever. I just want to like empathize with the human beings that just played in that game more than, than that. Yeah. And like the question is like, did, does Giannis really have like somebody close to him that like, uh within 30 minutes of that game ending was was talking in those terms well i'm sure Uh, i'm sure that was said like i almost i think that like even though that was only one nugget in the story i almost wonder if that's something that was like a nugget that was saved yeah um no i mean it's frustrating and i think i think captains that are old enough remember you know i lebron new york shirts that were being made way back in 2007 2008 2009 um so you know we've been on the wrong side of this sort of thing i think um the pelicans you know i saw a pelicans fan that was upset about the story as well um you know Giannis was you know pretty upset yesterday um and i think there is something to it like um you know you really a lot of times do have to go through like a painful loss before you can 
sort of come back and grow, especially on a young team. And I think the Bucks qualify as a young team. But, like, the focus isn't on them, like, not getting over the hump. It's on can they even continue to keep building. And, and that is kind of a bummer. Like, it should be a time for the Bucks to sort of come together and figure out how they can get better. And it's not really being framed in that way. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to be a little more human in, in how we talk about this is sort of my pitch. Um, I say this as someone who, like, looks at cap sheets a lot and, like, looks at numbers and how I analyze these things. But I think, like, the human element is just something I think we got to make sure, like, we don't forget um, when talking about this. But let- let's get into the draft, David. Let's – you and I – I mean, I, I mean I'll, I'll say, like, the players – and it's, it's not, like, a condemnation of the players because I don't really care. But the players do it to themselves, oh, right? Oh, sure. Like – because there's like you know these guys keep asking for trades they you know which they they should like i mean i'm not even criticizing it but um they they end up sort of putting themselves in the situation um where those stories get told so um i don't know uh do i like blame the reporter for doing it like right then and there do they had to frame it that way i don't know but you know, given where the NBA is and given what Kyrie Irving's done and given what Anthony Davis has done and given what Camaro Anthony's done, and given what LeBron James has done, I I mean I I don't I don't a hundred percent blame really anybody. Yeah, I don't blame anyone. I think it's just like something I think it's a discussion we should have, I guess is is my point. Okay. Cavs needs. David, when you look at this roster, when you look at uh what the Cavs seem to have as their building blocks, what do you think this this team actually needs? Besides of like the the blanket answer is anything talent, but what specific roles do you sort of think that you're looking at and say this is something we th- I think the Cavs really could use? Yeah, I mean like they're they're sort of in a position where anything is an answer, but um, you know they're looking for a difference maker wing. I think you know, if you look at what I'm not saying you, they're going to draft Kawhi with the fifth pick or anything, but you know if if you watch what. Toronto was getting out of of Kawhi and what Giannis has given the Bucks all year and um, you know having a difference maker wing um, that can do multiple different things um, is almost always it seems a, a prerequisite to winning and I know the Warriors are doing it without um, without KD right now but he's also in that class obviously. Um, so it's a very hard to be good if you don't have a very good wing and, um, you know, the Cavs have Chetty, they, they have some stuff on the wing, but, um, you know, I think you're looking for somebody who can, can create for other people. Um, I think you're looking for, um, for, for length and, uh, and, and probably some shooting as well. I think for me, the three I would say that like the three skill sets I would find the most valuable would be defense, three point shooting, and secondary creation. I don't necessarily believe like we're gonna know right away if they're who who they get at five or who they get at twenty six is going to blossom into an all star or like whatever. My, I just think of like what I know about Beeline's offense and what I know about how the modern game is played and how the Cavs have not really built rosters in that way. Um, even around LeBron, there's some stuff I wish they would have done a little more modern to kind of make it work a little bit better. I just think like those are the skill sets that are like, 
Both seem to be, at least in theory, available with guys that are going to have to prove it, of course. And also just like that they need. Like I, I think when you value evaluate these guys, I think you need to believe that they can at least do one or two of those things at a, at a good level and have potential to be good at the other, especially at five. I think at five, you want to get a guy that can at least come in and at least do something. And I when I look at it, I think defense has to be the the top thing because I think this team doesn't right now have a lot of good defenders. They certainly didn't try very hard on defense last year and were awful on defense. Beeline's teams, you know, he's known as an offensive innovator, innovator, but he's had good defensive teams. He's had teams that know how to play defense, know how to to get stops when they need to. That has never really been a trait of the Cavs, unless you know, except in the in the playoffs the last couple years with LeBron when they buttoned it up when they absolutely had to. But I think if you're going to build something different, build something new this time around, um, I think that that's kind of what I would say is the is the top skill set. I think you need defenders. I think it makes guys that where you look at their wingspan you look at their, their what they did in college i think that makes that to me just so paramount in what kobe allman is trying to do here did you cut off or are you i'm good yeah keep going i'll, I'll clean that up in the end there what did, what's the last okay. thing you heard me say uh just the, i i can kind of go on okay. based on yeah, that, so. um no and i i think that's you know what they were the worst defensive team in the history of the league yeah um you know, with the caveat that it's very difficult to get, you know, young guys that will defend. I, I think you can get guys like DeAndre Hunter, who, um, you know, sort of has this this history of, of defending, and it's something that he projects to be very good at. Um, Jared Culver, I think, is in that same boat as the type of guy that, you know, you could look at and say, well, all right, this guy has a, a, a skill set that, could come in and, and defend. Um, I would want, you know, some history of it in their past, you know, like we can project certain guys. Okay. He should be able to be a good defender, but if he hasn't exhibited anything like that before, I don't know why we're just sort of expecting it to develop once he gets to the league. Um, it seems like, you know, it, it's possible guys can develop, can can grow into that. I mean, KD wasn't a defender before he came in. Uh, it took, you know, it, t- it takes most guys a long time. But that just, you know, we're talking about. Okay, am I going to start to see good defending in year two or year three, or am I going to be? Or, are we talking, you know, year five or six? And um, you know, if you're looking for it early on, um, then I do think you have to start start drafting for that, um, which. You know, given where the roster is, I, I think you're right. It's something they should definitely look into. If that's the case, then Hunter and Culver might be really the first and only guys that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm going to ask you that. That's my follow-up here. Who are the guys that, like, I know you are not like, we're not like Trevor or like some of the draft nicks out there that are getting into every single guy. But when you when we're cursory learning about these guys, um, doing some digging of our own, who are the guys that actually stand out to you? Uh... I would say Culver first and foremost. Um, he's not a shooter necessarily, but um, added a lot of usage to his game last year. Good distributor. Um, stayed relatively efficient, even though he's not a good shooter. Um, from uh, it sounds like he's you know sort of obsessed with basketball. He's a basketball junkie. Uh, even though he's got two years in college, he's still pretty young. Um, 
you know, I, I think he seems like he's athletic. He measured bigger than maybe people thought he was going to. Um, should be available at five. I think that's sort of a clear-cut case. Um, and then, you know, Hunter is not necessarily an exciting pick, but kind of like I said, you, you've seen him do things, and he looks like he can could certainly be a, a spot-up shooter. So um, those would probably be the two that I, I'd be most sort of comfortable with. So for me, I think when I look at Culver, I look at a guy that if you're going to get um, if you're going to get someone that could theoretically do all three of those things, he to me is the guy that strikes me as the the guy that has the potential to be the best player out of those, the most transcendent player out of those, and fill all of these needs. Like the shooting is a, is a bit of a concern uh, based on his his numbers last year at Texas Tech. Uh, he's got a little hitch at the top of his shot, but. He has the tools to be a really good defender in multiple positions. He's a little bigger than Jetty, which I think is a good thing. I think the, the the creation ability is potentially there. And I think when you look at specifically Colin Sexton and like where we would... I don't know whether you consider his... And I kind of want to talk about this later, so just note this. But I don't know if like you would consider defense or his lack of vision last year to be his biggest issue. But I think Culver can help placate some of those. I think if you're... Interestingly, if you wanted to do a, a better job of hiding Sexton defensively or Clarkson for that matter next year, Brandon Knight or whatever, you could have situations where like Culver and I think Hunter could do this too, but Culver and Jetty, let's say, are guarding like the two wings or like maybe Jetty's guarding a point guard. Ty Lue famously, I think, had Jetty do that somewhat as a rookie. You could have Sexton like just hiding on an off-ball shooter and then he has to run through screens and, and defend smartly and stuff, but it limits some of his weaknesses as a pick-and-roll defender. And then Culver can kind of help with the playmaking and let Sexton kind of do what he does best, which seems to be get buckets. Hunter could come in and certainly, I think, help Jetty defensively and, and defend some fours and stuff, and it could get interesting there. But if you're looking at like shooting for the fences, Culver might be the best reality of like should be decent and could be something a lot more than that. Yeah, one of my latest like new things is people who talk about like high upside, low ceiling, you know, high floor. Like it's always sort of an assumption that the people who are already good uh like don't have a high ceiling or like the people who uh are not very good right now do have a high ceiling. And I I guess I just don't like understand that. Like um does DeAndre Hunter not have, like, he's a pretty athletic guy from what I can tell. Like, he's already pretty good. Why isn't he somebody who has a high ceiling? Um, and I think there are guys, like, recently in the draft that have been pretty good, um, but, but people don't think they have a high ceiling for whatever case, and so they, they fall. Um, you know, I think, like, Evan Mitchell might be an example of that. Um, you know, there's just guys that people are like, yeah, he's, he's fine. He'll, he should be okay. But like the idea that somebody who's already good can get better seems like lost a lot of the time. And that, that doesn't really make sense to me. And on the flip side, people who aren't very good and have exhibited really no ability to play at the college, college basketball level, people just assume that when they get to a higher level of play, they're going to get better. And that like, that doesn't really make sense to me either. All right, so when you look at the the let's say let's say the Cavs decide like they value playmaking and they want like another guard to pair with Sexton at five, if they took like Darius Garland or Kobe White, would that 
what does that signal to you? I, I don't quite know if I think white would make more sense based on what I know, but I, I, I get a little skittish if like they're going to build two smaller guards or to have to build kind of a CJ Dame kind of thing. But what would you make of if they went guard instead of wing at, at five? Well, I mean, they, they've, they tried to do that with, with, uh, with Kyrie and Dion. And, you know, if, if, I guess for me, it would just depend on what their personalities are. Um, you know, if you really like Kobe White and you think he's going to be a really good point guard in the NBA, go get him. Um, if you think, you know, Colin Sexton's going to be able to handle it, if you think Kobe White's, you know, got the mindset that he's not going to be upset about it. Like, you know, a few years ago, the, um, you know, the Suns basically had like three different point guards and they were kind of, you know, well, we just want as many creators as possible. And that's fine, but the players have to, like, be okay with it. Um, and a lot of times I, I don't think that they are. And, um, you know, even even CJ and Dame, I don't know that that's always been, like, a seamless or perfect combo. They, uh, they are to be commended for how well they've made it work. But, um, you know, I, I, it... Yeah, like my eyebrows would definitely go up, but if they think those are the best players, then seems like something you almost have to do. I agree. I wonder, you know, I I wonder how much the roster will be in flux. I think the one position group, I think it, we just assume it's going to be in flux. Um, and I and I wonder how much the Cavs like feel they need to just get someone solid at five or or take a swing. And I think that brings us to the last thing we're gonna we're hit on here with with Cam Reddish. There's been a lot of smoke with Cam Reddish so far, like that. Like immediately the next day, the story from Joe Varden was can't was all about Cam Reddish. That kind of makes me nervous based on what we know about him. If I was the Cavs, I would look in other directions. I get the appeal of Reddish. I think he's been crapped on a little too much, and I hate the idea that like we talk about these guys like they're fixed variables. Um, when we when we go through this process to to some degree, but. Reddish at five to me would be really interesting. I think the size is there. I think there's there's certainly some pedigree there you got to think about. But what do you what do you make of the the linkages to Reddish so early in this draft process? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Fedor had some stuff on it too. I mean, they both came out immediately. Um, so frankly, it's worrisome. Um, is he you know guaranteed to be what he was this year? Absolutely not. But if you're just looking at on court results really was not very good and it sounds like he wasn't you know particularly able to finish at the rim um he uh did not shoot as well as maybe his um admittedly very good looking shot you know would would sort of indicate and it was a small sample so you know he should be a three-point shooter but um you know, if you compare what people seem to say about him off the court compared to like Culver, um, you know, people say Culver's obsessed with basketball. People do not say that about Reddish. Um, and then you just look at their actual on-court results, and they're not particularly close. So it would be hard for me to swallow. But at the same time, like the guys covering the team seem to really be indicating that that might be where it's going. That to me would be like just a really interesting pivot, um, in terms of like what they what they're kind of going for. Like he, like when you look at the type of guy that seems like thrives in beelines sort of system, um, and I don't even know if like sex what he thinks of sex and like we don't really know that yet. Um, 
I, I, I think Reddish would just be like a really, really interesting fit. And I think like he would, I think the, the one kind of X factor in all this too is like, what, uh, you know, how do the Cavs view the next five years? Like, we don't really quite know that yet, but like, is Kevin Love a big part of this? Like, are they going to try and like have adults in the room in a way that is going to allow these young guys some, some room to grow and not have to do everything from the get go. And like, if I think like, if you take Reddish and the plan is like, look, we're going to bring him along slowly. We're going to ask, you know, Kevin to take a lot of pressure off of him and, and help him get some easy looks and build confidence up and give him time to develop. That to me is a much more tolerable, linear, I think coherent plan. It's not a plan I totally love. And I think it's flawed if you take him over like Culver or Hunter or whatever, but I, I can get, I can get that. And I think for me, the biggest thing in all of this is like, I just feel like if you're looking at the Cavs and you want to see them do something good coming out of the draft and you want to see them feel like they're going in the right direction, um, you know, with the beeline hiring and then like the everything else they're going to do, I feel like you need to leave the draft feeling like whoever they took at five is part of a coherent plan and you need to be able to figure out that plan. I think that's the biggest thing here. If you feel like they're doing something crazy, then maybe this is the same old Cavs and we're going to be in for like a wacky next couple of years. And maybe we're headed that way anyway. Because it doesn't seem like they're going to have a chance to get a Zion. They're going to have to develop things sort of organically. But I think we need to feel like they have a coherent plan if you're going to feel optimistic about the next couple of years. Yeah, I just think it's like it would be curious for me to know like where the Cam Reddish stuff is coming from. Like, Couldn't really be the analytics department. There really is no coaching staff or there wasn't at the time. Um you know, maybe Kobe loves camera. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly where that would come from, but, um, it just seems a little strange. That being said, I mean, he was like, what, like the number two or number three or number four, you know, recruit in the country. So, you know, um, people liked him coming into the year. So, you know, things can change. Um, uh, but you know, it, it, it was striking that that just, immediately came out as soon as the Cavs lottery place sort of came in. And it, it's sort of clear they liked RJ Barrett too. Um, and so clearly you're watching a lot of Duke basketball. So um, what he was should be sort of abundantly clear to people because he was on TV a lot. And I'm assuming the Cavs had a lot of scouts uh, at, you know, the Duke games. So we'll see. Uh, last, last thing for this episode, we're, you're going to have another one up in a couple of days. Uh, just, we are going to do some sort of binge type recording here for you guys. Um, what did you make of the, of the beeline intro presser? Um, you know, I think he, he said all the right things. I kind of keep going back to, you know, it seems like he's a forward thinking guy. Um, he, you know, I think we talked in the last, uh, you know, pod that we did about how, you know, he was going to kind of have to adjust how he relates to players in the NBA versus in college. And he was pretty open about how that's something he knows that he needs to do. And he got advice from uh, David Griffin and some other folks on that. So um, I think he sounded all the right notes. And, um, you know, kind of like you said, we don't know what he thinks about Colin. We don't know what he thinks about, you know, Kevin Love and their, you know, place moving forward. But, the evidence that we have is that he signed up to coach this team. So um, he, he must feel okay about Colin Sexton. He must, you know, he probably is excited about the idea of, of coaching somebody like Kevin Love. So 
uh, we'll have to see where it ends up going. I, I really can't wait. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting summer. I'm actually very happy they're playing in Utah. Um, that's like a really small thing, but like I like that they're going to play three extra summer league games. It's not like a big, big thing, but I just like that they're doing it. I like that they're going to like get their young guys some more time. It's like that's a chance to get them some more familiarity with um, you know, the John Beeland's offense, Kevin Love has worked out in Utah a bunch in past several summers. So like, maybe he's like going to be there. And like, I, that, that's just really cool to me. Um, there's a lot of change coming this summer, but I feel like the draft and then that will just sort of be like a good start for us to really evaluate this. But the draft comes first. Um, David, any last thoughts before we kind of wrap up here? So people know our next show is going to be about all how the Cavs can build the summer and why free agency is going to be a tough thing for them to do. But uh, any last draft thoughts, any final takes you want to get off here? No, it looks like we've got about four weeks until the draft. So um, it's actually been fairly quiet, I think, on the rumor front. The but, Cavs uh, are, I, I would, I think you know this. I think a lot of people that follow the team know this. The Cavs are very quiet about all this. Like a lot of teams will have work guys come through, do workouts in a public way, and then they do media availability with those prospects. The Cavs like shut this down. Like they don't have anything out there. And that's very on purpose and very on brand for them. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't, I don't love. I wish we knew more, but I get why they do it. Yeah, or sometimes they just draft people they don't talk to. So, <laughs> uh, that, that's always possible. Just get ready for like the the Cavs never talked to Seku Domboya, but they got his high school transcripts and he got like an A in an engineering class, and now they're taking him at, at five. That's where we're <laughs> that, that's where we're headed in all this. Um, but that's gonna be it for the bottom. Uh, find David on Twitter at David Zabok. David, thanks so much.